God's heart for the whole world. Demonstrate to the nations God's goodness. To live the kind of life that God has intended us to. To see the world more beautiful, more orderly, more true, more just, more righteous. It is for the sake of the world. Welcome guys, y'all can have a seat. My name's Dave, I'm one of the pastors here if we haven't met yet, and uh, it's great to be with you. We are in a series this semester called Life in the In-Between. It's looking at this kind of cosmic reality that we are in the in-between between Jesus's cross and resurrection and his final return with the victory that he won on the cross and the longing for that to be fully implemented upon his return. We've been looking at what it means to have, to live in the reality of the whole gospel with our whole lives in the in-between. And today, we're going to look at what it means, God's heart for the whole world. Now, we're going to look uh, at Genesis to Revelation in about 20 minutes. So it's the invitation to buckle up. Um, I thought it would be really helpful as we start looking at God's heart for the whole world and our place in that, not just to localize it in a few action points that we can take today, but I want to give you guys God's framework for how he's engaging with the world and has been since creation and how we fit today into this grand narrative that has been happening for all time and will culminate with Jesus's return return. So that means you might want to take notes if you want, because I'm going to be referencing a lot of the Bible. We're not going to be opening up in depth a lot of scripture, but you can go back and look for yourselves in more depth if you want to. The hope for today is that we'll walk away with this grand narrative and understanding our part in it, not just a real deep dive into individual ones, but you can deep dive into all of them, and they're great. So with that, wow, all right. Uh, with that, uh, God cares about the whole world, and we have a really important part to play in God's heart for the whole world. That's our theme. And it starts with creation, in Genesis 1, God creates everything from nothing, that he creates the whole world. And then he creates humanity in his image, meaning that he has endowed in humanity capacity for creation in a similar way that God has capacity for creation. That means God created everything from nothing and he gave humanity the ability to create something from something. And so, for instance, God did not invent the violin. He created trees and horses and humanity using their creative capacity has figured out how to turn trees and horses into violins. 
He didn't make poodles. God did not invent poodles. He did not create them. Adam did not name them. Uh, They were bred from like wild dogs and wolves over time, which is amazing. Uh, God did not create corn. He created this weird little grass that people selectively bred for a long time and turned it into sweet corn, which is amazing. God did not invent glass, but he made sand and fire and people using their creative capacity and image-bearingness figured out how you can heat up sand and turn it into glass. So God created humanity in his image, giving us the opportunity to use creation, to use our creative capacity with nature to make amazing things. And he gave in Genesis 1 uh, this mandate Uh, Genesis 1.28, this mandate to Adam and Eve that they were to fill the earth, they were to multiply, fill the earth, and exercise dominion to rule over earth, to use the authority, both the creative capacity and the authority that God gave them to expand God's creation project to cover the whole earth, to literally fill the earth with God's image, using our capacity for creation to make the world more orderly, more beautiful, and more good, to do things like creating violins and music and poodles. But something happens in Genesis 3. So God's plan from the get-go is to cover the earth in his image. And the way that he wanted to do that and chose to do that is by making image bearers to create humanity with the capacity to use creativity and multiply and turn the capacity of creation into something beautiful that reflects God's image. To multiply, to fill, and to rule, to use our creative capacity for good and cover the earth in the image of God. And God gave one rule that was, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm trying to do this in 20 minutes, so I'm going to keep it a little short. But God is love-based, and he wants us to be able to love him. He didn't just create robots. He gave us capacity for creation and capacity to love. And so he had to give us capacity not to obey him so that we were not just robots. And so the capacity to not obey him was don't eat the tree from the tree. We ate from the tree, and uh, then everything gets turned aside. And instead of using our creative capacity for good, beauty, order, and a multiplication of the image of God and his nature being displayed through creation, what happens is it gets marred. People aren't turned wholesale evil. Still, we have God's image bearing and capacity. There's beautiful things that are created over the eons, but we also see that same creative capacity used for evil. We see people, we see murder and envy and strife and jealousy and people using their creative capacity to do evil instead of good. So what does God do? He begins to continue his project of covering the earth with his image and goodness. So he does a quick reset with Noah gives them a mandate again and says, hey guys, really, go fill the earth, exercise 
your creative capacity to do wonderful things. And uh, humanity rebels at this little story called the Tower of Babel, which what happens is humanity basically colludes together against God and says, we will not be spread all over the earth. Instead, we are going to build this tower. We're going to camp out here. We're not going to go all over the earth and turn this wilderness into a garden. What we're going to do is stay here. God says, nope, you're going to cover the whole earth, and I'm going to change your languages so that you spread out and cover the whole earth. So God confuses the languages, and people go all over the earth and cover the earth with this sort of broken image of God. But God has a plan to evangelize the nations. It's funny that Babel is this kind of small story, but it is actually a linchpin of God's redemptive history where he is sending people all over the world and then begins a project to evangelize the nations. The way he does that is through Israel. He selects a people for himself. He gives them the law to show them how they should live. He gives them the mandate to make a temple and build a house of prayer for all nations. He gives them strategic land in Israel that is at the crossroads of society. And he gives them the mandate to demonstrate to the nations God's goodness. The problem is, is that Israel becomes unfaithful in their own strength. Even with the law, they couldn't do it themselves. They become unfaithful to God and start worshiping idols. And so worship gets mixed. And as their worship gets mixed, what happens is they also become pretty racist. And they start using their religion to exclude people from temple worship instead of including the nations of having these different systems of courts and all these rules to keep eunuchs out and to keep women out and to keep uh, the other nations out of God's presence. And so not only is it wrong because racism is bad, it is wrong because it is also missing the point of God's people, which were to be a blessing to the nations in a place where God would use this nation to evangelize the earth so that people could come and know God. So he sends his son. And Jesus does a couple things. He proclaims the kingdom. He proclaims the availability of God's reign and rule, the good news that we no longer have to live under broken, racist religious systems. We no longer have to live under the power of evil. We no longer have to be enslaved to uh, our own sinful passions. He demonstrates the kingdom by healing people and showing that God is sovereign over sickness and disease in the fall. He sets people free. He proclaims the good news. He saves people. He brings the outcast close to himself. And he fulfills the law. His atonement on the cross, his death on the cross is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. The perfect sacrifice that enables adoption to God's family and eternal life to those who trust and follow him. He defeats death in the resurrection and he sends his spirit 
to his followers so that we can be empowered by God's own spirit to live the kind of life that God has intended us to, to give us the power to use his image bearingness and creative capacity that he gave us to multiply goodness and beauty and order in the earth. And he gives us kind of a recommission again and tells us to love God and love neighbor and to go into all the world making disciples, teaching people to know and follow Jesus, to hear him and obey him. So that all the nations that were scattered back at Babel would come to know Jesus, that they would be forgiven of their sin, that they would be set free from evil, that they would be set free from their own twisted passions, and that they could use the power that God gave them to demonstrate his nature and character in the whole earth. Great commissions in Matthew 28, 18. And then in Revelation we have this picture, this, this picture of God's return. It's Revelation 21. It says, I see a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so it culminates with this return of Jesus where he is setting everything right. He is defeating death. He is wiping away every tear. He is eliminating sickness. And he is tending to those who are thirsty. He is caring for those who are hurting. And he is judging those who use their creative capacity and the power that God gave them to perpetrate evil instead of good. And so we have this God who cares deeply about the whole world. From the beginning, he wants it to be filled with his image. He wants nature to declare, the world to declare what he is like, perfect and holy and good, just and righteous, full of love and joy and peace and beauty, the God of sunsets, the God who decided to send his own son self-sacrificially to die on our behalf. He wants his image to be born all over earth, and he will go to no limit to make sure that that happens. And I don't understand why he chose people like us to carry that out, but it is a really high calling. 
And it is an amazing reality that we get to partner with the living God to use the gifts that he has given us to make the world around us more representative of his nature. That we can use our creative capacity to do things like build better bridges, to push back on the effects of the fall through medicine, to teach people things, to heal hurting, to help the ones who are oppressed, to stand against unjust systems. He entrusts us with that, but he doesn't leave us alone to try to do that on our own. He also gives us his son to forgive us and free us and connect us to him. And he gives us his spirit to empower us and enable us to do the impossible. That we really can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He will direct us and he will empower us to make a difference in the world because it is his eternal plan. And we also know that we are living in the in-between, that we're in a time where the kingdom has not fully come. It is not, death is not yet fully defeated. We're longing and waiting for that. So we know that the fight that we're in now is actually a fight for goodness and order and beauty and new life against injustice and for love, that it is resisted but God empowers us in the midst of that. And we look with a longing and an excitement for his return so that we can see the fullness of it. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. And so there's like a million application points. I don't know how to drive this home specifically for you because I think God's probably stirring specific things in each of you. Because he has, in Christ Jesus, he has created you uniquely and specially, to be an image bearer. And what's amazing about God's image is it is huge. He is eternal. There is an unlimited number of ways that he can express his nature through humanity. And so the passions that he has put on your heart, the dreams that he has given you, the longings and desires that he has given you to see the world more beautiful, more orderly, more true, more just, more righteous, are probably as different as many people are hearing this, which is exciting. But the path forward for each of us is the same because it's not first to the action, it's first to the Lord who created us to do those things. So that we can come to him, we can hear him, we can obey him, we can be empowered by him. And so this call to discipleship that we're going after this year at Campus House is not just for us. It is for the sake of the world. It is so that others may be, it is so that we can be set free and healed from our past. But it is also so that God's image can be spread over the whole earth in every aspect of life so that others can know him and find life in him. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would bless us with the ability to know you more deeply. God, that you would help each of us to hear you more clearly, 
that, Lord, you would refine what you have put in us so that we can be bearers of your image in this world. God, our hearts are not just for us, but God, we long to see your righteousness, your justice, your peace, your healing, your goodness go out and touch many. God, would you start here? Would you start with us? Would you forgive us and redeem us from the broken places in our lives where we're not yet healed and free? But God, would you not let it stop there? Would you let it overflow into all the world, your life and your goodness? Would you let it touch creation around us? Would you let it touch the people who we come in contact with? Would you allow each of us to be a beacon of hope and a source of life and someone pointing the way back to our good Father? Oh,